Hello everyone, I am Arvind. I am the co-founder and CEO of River. maker Ola Electric has raised more than $1 billion till date. Its close competitor, Ather, has raised more than $300 million till date. Competing against them is a company that has raised just $13 million at the time of the interview. In this episode of the Sounder Thesis podcast, your host Akshay Dad speaks to Aravind Mani, the founder of River, an EV scooter startup. River is pioneering a scooter for entrepreneurs, giving them both utility and lifestyle benefits in a single machine. In this fascinating conversation, Aravind shares his approach towards building a startup frugally and decodes their path to becoming a $100 million business. Stay tuned if you want to learn about how to build a frugal business and don't forget to subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app. What's an elevator pitch for River? So we are an AV startup based out of Bangalore. So we are only two years old. And what we achieved in the last couple of years is phenomenal progress. So we got a product designed, built, and ready to manufacture from scratch in just two years, number one. Number two, we built a kick-ass R&D team of close to 300 engineers and designers who are hands-on designing the vehicles, designing the frame, the battery pack, the electronics, everything. And number three is we put a put up a factory for mass production. We got the factory ready and it is ready to mass produce. So all of this was achieved in two years and less than $15 million. And what we've done in the last two years is to set up a good base, which is ready to scale. And we are in the process of taking the product to market in August and, and then scale to across the country in the next few months to come. I am curious to know how, like, uh, you know, $15 million is uh, fairly small considering what your competitors have raised. I think there's nobody who's raised less than $100 million, right? The people you are competing with. Also, you need to factor in the, the period of time they have been in existence, right? So we are only two years and we raised $15 million in those two years. So one important aspect to this was to get the product to market in the shortest possible time. And without compromising on quality or any of the processes. So being a startup, that's an important aspect to the, the strength of the company, right? So one important thing that we kind of focus on is agility. So we're very agile as a company and we had very strong focus on what we were going to build. So we want from day one, we were sure uh, what is the product that we are going to build, what is the specification, what is the market positioning, etc., etc. And we just executed it with a great efficiency. So that is important thing. And uh, uh, based on the stage of the company, we have raised uh, adequate capital. That is an important part. And the stage was so initial seed of $2 million was for uh, product development. We kind of put around 15 prototypes on the road within a year. Then we raised 11 million, which is to take the product into mass production, including uh, investments for tools for mass production, the factory, et cetera, et cetera. And then the further money that we'll be raising will be used for taking the product to market. So one thing you're saying is uh, focus. You did not waste time or money in experiments, which a lot of early players had to waste because there was no ecosystem. Everyone was figuring things out. So you had the benefit of 
not being the first mover, the the the, the late mover advantage that things to some extent were already figured out. Uh, so so you were very clear and focused uh, on what it is that you want to build. Uh, Definitely not denying it. So we do have the benefit of what we call hindsight. So we kind of understand what went wrong in certain experiments in other players, etc. With other players. So that's definitely there. Having said that, uh, it's extremely important to know the process of automotive development. So that really comes from experience. So my co-founder, Vipin, who has spent close to eight years building vehicles for Honda across Japan, Southeast Asia, and India. He has taken around seven products from concept to commercialization during his time at Honda. So, and what the, in addition to the benefit of hindsight that we have, we also know what exactly it takes. We understand the processes. We understand where we can optimize in the product development, which many startups in the space did not have before us or even even the peers to us because most of them surely do not have the kind of experience that we come with. I think both of you were working at another EV startup. Just tell me that journey of what made you guys connect. Help me understand that journey of ideation to your like raising the first check. Right. This particular EV startup, I joined there in 2018 with a mandate to take the product to market, etc. Spent two years. I was not able to make significant progress there. So it was one of the... Why is that? Multiple reasons. The momentum was missing. The product was not in the state to take to market. They should have probably hired you a year or two later. Possibly not also. We have kind of proved that with the right steps, we can take a product to market in two years' time. So we strongly believe that every business uh, needs a niche. Uh, If you are a young consumer business, there should be a niche in terms of value proposition, in terms of the customer that you talk to that you really have to go after. So for that, the answer to that after a few months of ideation for us was utility lifestyle. So we wanted to create a niche around utility lifestyle in India. So the thesis there was quite simple. More than 50% of India was self-employed. And there are solo entrepreneurs who will be running their own shops. And there is a large uh, part of the day that a two-wheeler is involved in. They carry a lot of things on the vehicle. Uh, on a two-wheeler for their work. That's also their primary mode of commute. Now, people do that on the existing two-wheelers. However, the form factor was not really suited for uh, them to kind of uh, do that. So people do that in uncomfortable ways, etc. So we kind of also, that is one trend. The second trend is that the youngster of today, like a 21-year-old who is just out of college, he is driven, he is a solo entrepreneur, but it doesn't mean that even though he does utility tasks, doesn't mean that there is uh, a lack of style quotient in his life or personality. And uh, he or she will want to kind of also a vehicle that reflects their personality a lot. So combining these two, we kind of thought that utility lifestyle is the niche that we want to and the combination of utility and the lifestyle that they stand for is the value prop that we need to bring to market. That is how River was born. We want to create a parallel of that in the Indian two-wheeler space. Okay, okay. interesting. So this is not something you're doing for like uh, gig workers, uh, delivery stuff, the logistics. Logistics was not the primary aim here or was that the primary? I don't think logistics or the gig workers are the primary market because the market is very small. So we are targeting solo entrepreneurs. So it can be a shop owner, it can be a home baker, it can be electrician, it can be a carpenter. See, this category of workers or this category of the population is massive and they all earn significantly more wealth than, uh, significantly more money than uh, than the blue-collared workers out there. 
and they have disposable income they all stand for a particular style statement and we want to celebrate their livelihood we want to celebrate what they stand for interesting how, how so this fundamental thesis uh, what kind of design decisions did it lead to in terms of like how did you translate this idea into an actual design absolutely so now with this utility lifestyle niche in mind we started uh, back to the drawing board and thought if we were to reimagine a scooter out there how would that look like so we started off with uh, a few keywords like we wanted the product to be very capable we wanted the product to be versatile because the people who use it for utilitarian tasks also use it in the morning to play cricket and also use it in the evening to take their girlfriend out so it has to be suited for both work and life and and fun so then the eventual evolution of that is what you see in indie today so indie has the largest storage in any scooter out there not only electric but any scooter out there so we have 43 liters of storage under the seat and 12 liters of storage in the front box that puts together 55 liters of lockable storage which is the the top uh, which is the highest in any scooter out there we have 14 inch wheels which is more of a cross between a motorcycle and a scooter better rideability and maneuverability on all road conditions so we'll also appeal to the rural and semi urban audience that is also what is the wheel size of like say an activa 10 inches okay so that is second we created a very large floorboard and you carry a lot of things on the floorboard so we created front foot pegs which are seen for the first time in any scooter out there because once so, you carry as in you don't have to put your feet on the floorboard you can put your feet on this foot pegs is that what it on the front foot pegs yeah so you the back the rear foot pegs are very common you can see that in any scooter you can also see that in most motorcycles so we have kind of integrated a foot peg into the front design and that kind of gives you a very comfortable ride and a safe ride even when your floorboard is very loaded so loading a floorboard is not only a utility task right you go buying grocery you put things on your floorboard you put a laptop bag on your floorboard and that's something that everyone uses and yeah the front foot peg is the first time in our vehicle the next in indie yeah then the next is a customizable platform where there are a few elements uh, starting with the lock and load pannier stay which is featured on the first time in any scooter in the world in indie where you can easily mount several accessories on the pannier stay we are also designing those accessories so it is kind of creating a safer much better way of carrying load uh, give me examples of some of these accessories So there are side panny boxes there is a bag box that can be mounted in less than 30 seconds so in case you want to carry see you are a home baker you want to deliver a cake yeah so it can be done by using a bag box without the cake getting spoiled with and you can load up the bag box in like 30 seconds deliver the cake and remove the bag box once you're back and your pillion seat is free so interesting so typically like most people go to a mechanic or a two wheeler accessory shop for these uh, add-ons and customizations you have created a modular approach where they can just buy these add-ons uh... absolutely and it's not a permanent fixture that's more important it's not a permanent fixture and that doesn't actually restrict your two wheeler to be only used for one particular use case right so it is a temp- it is a customizable platform where you can 
put on these accessories remove these accessories and get on with your work and life at the same time so you buy one product which is what most people most consumers do in the market and you can do a variety of tasks mm. your co-founder is obviously from the automotive background and he would probably be doing the design work what was your contribution in this so i am i am the business guy i am the commercial guy so see unlike public perception a ev startup also needs to make money i think there were two primary uh, contributions here one is that there is a there is a large public perception or even perception among investors that a hardware business is capital intensive so we were kind of so far has been a constant proof that hardware investments need not be capital intensive so what we have achieved in the last couple of years and 15 million dollars is a right base on which we can build a billion dollar business how you achieved this so the capex for any particular part right for example the plastic parts or the headlight etc these are headlights that will only be there on indi and we had to do the capex for it however understanding how to do it understanding what is the process the tire one uh, supply chain industry uses is very important so we have a very a simple product development process which is a five step process at the end of each step we had a significant milestone and also significant risk is at rest like for example the first stage is what we call the design and ideation stage so we did a clay model of the product which is a one is to one clay model which is not a skill set that most startups out there have so you don't actually do quick prototypes before the clay model so in the clay model itself you can test a lot of things including the overall dimension of the product the riding uh, dimension how does it suit for a 5 uh, foot 2 inch person versus a 6 foot 2 inch person so a lot of these riding dynamics etc can be already suit already fixed on a clay model which is clay <laughs> we are not spending money on prototyping now once amazing yeah once that is done you scan the clay model and create a 3d this is very old automotive design process like you can see that the 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 large automotive oems will be doing it then you move into digital space with this clay and you kind of do very fast iterations so for example we would have done at least four or five iterations on the frame so we do an iteration we do quick prototyping we put it on the road we test it we we break it then we go back to the drawing board and then we do this five fast iterations these iterations are done on the clay model or like you use 3d 3D printing. So once the clay is done, 3D printing is one of the methods. But say for example, the first frame was completely hand welded here. So the second phase was what we call the basic engineering phase, where we did a lot of fast iterations on the product, which is software kind of iterations on hardware, which is possibly done for the first time in the industry. So you build a frame, you put on a vehicle, you build a drivetrain, you put on a vehicle, you test it, then you go back. Then Uh, along with this you also we also did a lot of benchmarking in terms of what is there in the vehicles out there in terms of method of manufacturing uh, weight cost etc so we had a view and sight on the cost and uh, how a process is how a method particular part is manufactured from day one so that is second phase at the end of basic engineering we had a running prototype which is in the final shape and form your co-founder would have seen these best practices at honda and would have been able to bring them over here i think there are yeah there are best practices that they followed in a in a larger company like honda and how do you optimize it to pure innovation that has happened with young engineers right yeah then you enter a phase called detail engineering which is a third phase where 
you do two things. One is designed for manufacturing and the second is designed for assembly. This is where we took help from a lot of Tire One partners. Like for example, uh, there is a Tire One supplier who makes headlights for Bajaj two-wheelers. There is a Tire One supplier who makes frames for Honda, Honda scooters. So we work with these guys very efficiently, kind of see this is the design they've made. Can you look at this design and say where we can optimize it from a manufacturing perspective? So we did that six months into the inception of the company. It's extremely efficient process. We got the feedback. That is what we call design for assembly and design for manufacturing. So can this be manufactured at mass scale is a question that we asked the tire one suppliers at that time. We got the feedback. We optimized it for manufacturability. And how do we assemble all these together from a simple assembly perspective? So that is the third thing. So at the end of, uh, along with this, there are multiple other things that happen in terms of the electronics that we're building. How do we make the vehicle architecture very simple? So I think something, ideation and subtraction is something that we do really well as a company. Because it's easy to make things complex. It's very difficult to make things simple. So how do you subtract, <laughs> subtract various things that you want to do? How do you keep it to the bare minimum? How do you focus on what is the most essential part is something that we've done really, really well as a company. So at the end of the detailed engineering uh, process, we had 15 prototypes with parts from supplier lines, with parts with feedback from tier one suppliers. We've onboarded all the major tier one suppliers that we wanted. And, uh, and these three phases we ran in 11 months and spending $2 million. Amazing. Uh, uh, how did you raise that $2 million? $2 million was raised on sitting in our drawing rooms during COVID times, pitching to investors all over. Even in fact, the first check that we got, the investor did not even see us. Okay. There's like a friends and family or you were? Uh, no. So the, the first checks. Seed funds and angel funds. No, it's, it came from... Uh, Israel-based Maniu Mobility, which is a mobility-focused venture capital fund backed by Hyundai, uh, Mercedes, so Renault, Nissan, etc. And another VC called Trucks VC, uh, that is trans San Francisco-based VC. So these two funds wrote us the first $2 million check, and that is how we started. Amazing. Okay. Uh, how do you uh, convince a supplier to take you seriously? You know, as a young startup with no track record behind you? How do you get a tier one supplier to work with you? So it was possibly more difficult than convincing an investor to give us money. <laughs> because... <laughs> yeah, I would have thought as much. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Because most of these tier one suppliers understand the process really well, right? Because we told them, see us, this is what we're building. This is the niche that we're going. We are not a me too product. We are really going after a different niche. We are a clearly differentiated product. So that is one important thing, product pitch. Number two is to understand how the process works within their ecosystem and work towards that. For example, us taking a frame to them and telling them, see, can you tell us uh, how to improve this? Is something that people welcomed. People are like, okay, you guys are doing something really different and we love to be a part of this journey. That is an important part that happened. And at that point of time, when we had the focus on the product, on the process, that kind of helped selling the sell sell the story also. The skill set of working with vendors is highly underrated. Uh, Absolutely. 
and the third point is the third point is also to hire the right people so <laughs> we had uh, we were able to get the right kind of engineers and supply chain people from the industry who have worked with the multiple oems taken multiple products to market so it's always a team work so Mm, okay and these would have been like people from large ice manufacturing companies who have already worked in the ecosystem have the relationships uh, they immediately bring credibility to the team they understand how to convey information i'm sure like you know if you're getting a app build then you have to give a business requirement document and you have to give a wireframe etc so something similar would be the case here also like absolutely so as a young startup Uh, when we got the seed funding in march 2021 it was just two of us so from that uh, by the time we were in march 2022 we had a team of 80 people which was primarily uh, split we, we were very sure as a skill set that we wanted to go so our r&d today has got uh, five verticals which is mechanical electrical uh, drive train connectivity and design and there are several horizontals which are like the supply chain manufacturing program management development engineering so whatever a design vertical does has to be signed off by supply chain for cost development engineering for manufacturability manufacturing for how can you assemble it program for time so this is the fast iteration that i was talking to you about so it's a team that i said r&d team of 220 people flat and that's a peak strength and we took a product to <laughs> product from sketch to mass production in flat 2 years amazing you said you had 15 prototypes ready after that process the design engineering process so what happened next like after the third step which was called detail engineering so it was first is ideation uh, second is basic engineering third is detail engineering at the end of detail engineering we had all the tier one suppliers onboarded and we had 15 prototypes then we started testing these 15 prototypes and they they are those are still running on the roads after that we had to go into mass production so then uh, it is about developing mass production tools for these products number but you wanted to do all 15 or was there a process of elimination uh, no we had to build the 15 because see all these 15 were also used for different kinds of testing so say around eight of them were going for on road testing two went for destructive testing two went for shock absorber tuning yeah Oh so you're saying that there's not 15 different designs but one design 15 variants like 15 copies of it okay got it one design 15 copies of it yeah yeah, yeah. and then we went into pre production batch where we have 50 vehicles so the first step was to build one prototype then 15 vehicles then 50 so today we have 50 vehicles which are from the pre production batch which is with all the parts from the supplier ends and uh, we've been testing them on the road uh, for the last uh, several months across uh, we've already cumulatively covered 100000 kilometers on these vehicles we have done durability testing to the equivalent uh, tunes of 150000 kilometers etc uh, in parallel we went ahead uh, and blocked uh, uh, factory uh, land uh, we ordered the line we designed how the vehicle will be assembled in parallel the r&d setup also grew from a 6000 square feet space Uh, we grew to a 70000 square feet space with a fully fledged design studio mechanical workshops mechanical labs electrical labs electrical workshop battery lab so today the r&d facility that we have in whitefield bangalore is a self contained unit where we can design a product build up to 50 prototypes test them extensively and transfer it to the manufacturing facility amazing uh, how do you uh... 
Uh, is there an agency to whom you can outsource the testing? Like 150,000 kilometers if you have to run. Is it like your employees who are actually doing so much, uh, like going out and ride? Okay. Yeah. yeah. We have we have contract uh, riders who kind of, uh, their job is to only ride the vehicles. So it is, it is a 24-hour operation. And uh, they take the product out, they ride it. In fact, we do this in multiple cities for different temperature conditions, temperature, humidity conditions, etc. So Road conditions and all. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So once uh, they come to below 10%, they bring it back to the facility, charge it, and then again go back. So uh, there are also testing agencies that we work with for durability testing, destructive testing, etc. Because we haven't done all this CapEx investment for these testing facilities in-house. So it's always a balance that we strike as to what is the most essential that needs to be done in-house. Rest, we have partners whom, with whom we kind of... See, there are multiple testing agencies like ARI, ICAT, etc., who we uh, work for, say, multiple other tests like two-post, torture track, etc. These are things that you don't really have to invest in-house. Mm, got it. Okay. Okay. Uh, your uh, team of 80 people you built in a year with just that $2 million, was that enough? Like, uh, I mean... Yeah, that was enough. Well, it was always, uh, I mean, see, 2 million was there in the bank and uh, we went, we never compromised on speed. So we knew that the 2 million will get us 15 vehicles and we never stopped fundraising. Okay. Uh, how much runway did you have left when you raised the next round of 11 million? Always the runway was close to a year. Always it's less than a year. So, so you, you were like really frugal in your hiring. like Absolutely. We only hired what is essential, who is essential. So we see River growing in three organizations. One is the R&D organization. The, the peak strength of it is almost 200 to 220. So that is the organization that will conceive products, build the next generation technology, and take the test the products out for perfection, take it to mass production. Second is the manufacturing organization, which is the factory which will mass produce these vehicles. And third is a commercial organization which will start selling and servicing these vehicles. So today, R&D organization is 100%. Manufacturing organization is close to 30%. The commercial organization is again another 30%. And we will be scaling on these two as we more. So the whole... As your go-to-market progresses... Yeah, we have already hired manpower to start selling in one city in the month of August. And uh, once you prove our distribution model in one city, then it's a copy-paste mechanism that will happen. Uh, what's your median salary in the R&D function? Median salary? See, we don't pay lower than market. Every employee also gets CSOP. Okay. So, uh, like a lot of startups, when they get funding, they go all out in terms of hiring the best talent, even if you have to pay... 20 lakhs, 30 lakhs, 50 lakhs, 1 CR. I mean, these are not like in, in software roles, especially these are like fairly par for the course. Did you want to say, let me not chase that talent which everyone else is also chasing? Because EV talent, I'm sure would be like, you know, a lot of takers for EV talent and driving up salaries. How, how did you avoid that game of uh, competing on salaries? So one thing as a company, as a brand, we do not believe in hype. Whether it is in the market, whether it is in price or whether it is in salary, we do not believe in hype. We are building a company and we know that to build a brand uh, in the two-wheeler space, it is going to take a long time and we are in it for the long-term game. We don't attract people who will uh, want to uh, join for a 100 or 200% hike. So we believe our hiring philosophy was always very micro-entrepreneurial. So for example, we knew that, okay, we want a design head who will need so much of skill set and we took a design head and uh, we gave 
that particular person the freedom to build the entire design team. We similarly took a mechanical head and we took gave that person the entire freedom to build a mechanical team. So that is, uh, and each of each one of them are micro entrepreneurs uh, within River, and that is a culture that we want to kind of, uh, and that has given us a lot of success in the past. And specialize on building. We spend time on building that. Everyone feels a sense of belonging. Everyone feels that this is a particular department that I need to run. And this is the amount of resources I need to run this. And we let them run it on a free scale. Mm. You would have probably also taken some calls that, uh, for example, I don't want to uh, hire people from an existing EV company because they will be costly. Let me instead go to ICE companies because I will get talent which can learn EVs, learn on the job and uh, uh, maybe they don't hit the ground running but in a month or two they will be there. Something like, like maybe you would have taken that kind of a call. True. Two important philosophies there. One philosophy is that we will not hire from, uh, we do not also go out and hire from uh, companies because thought process and DNA matters. So if a thought process and DNA does not match with uh, the quality constraints, the agility that we stand for, then we do not want that resource. So more than the technical skill set, what really also matters is the soft skill set. That's number one. Number two is to have the right balance between experience and fresh thought process. Because someone who is a three-year-old engineer will bring a completely different perspective to this. As long as that person is given the right hand-holding and exposure to how our existing industry works, you can't change the way a tire, tire one OEM works. Uh, tire one company, uh, the way a frame building works cannot be changed. However, this person can build a new frame. But how do you take it to mass production is how a tire one works. You really can't change it there. So it's a right mix between the fresh thought process and the knowledge of how the industry works. Interesting. And uh, what are the kind of companies where you think the value systems match? So for example, maybe you don't want to hire from existing EV companies, but there would be some companies where you would say, okay, people from this kind of uh, a company have a good fitment with us. For the last two years, as far as R&D is concerned, our focus was to build uh, a good product. So the entire focus was on the product. So any company where the value systems match were, See, all the traditional OEMs for that matter, their focus on quality is quite high because they've been around for decades. Customers have, we are happy with uh, that value system. However, the process followed there uh, may be redundant today to a large extent or may not be suiting the concept of agility that we have. So we need their understanding of the industry process. We need their focus on quality. We need their value system from a traditional OEM. We need the young manpower who can be a fresh engineer out of college or someone who has worked in a uh, in another startup where agility is available, where a fresh thought process is available. Now, how do you marry the fresh thought process into the existing process available in the industry is where the trick is. That is what... Yeah. Mm, okay, interesting. L like you would have wanted to take up like someone from a Maruti or a Bajaj who is young in the system, not yet set in the ways, willing to unlearn some of the things, but at the same time brings with him industry knowledge, uh, focus on quality, attention to detail, uh, all of those things, because you learn those things. Someone who actually thought that I could have done this, but uh, a large OEM will not give him or her the space to try that out. We give them the space to try that out. Interesting. Our second level of management or leadership is the sweet spot is between 12, 10 to 15 years of experience. 
Beyond that, you what we call us, you get institutionalized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, how did you raise that uh, next round of eleven million? Uh, so we had made significant progress uh, by the time we had those fifteen vehicles running on the road, and there was uh, a large team. See. When we raised the two million, it was just a presentation and two of our resumes. Yeah, that so, was a <laughs> pitch, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So the second time we had significant progress, right? We had a clear product. There were fifteen vehicles running on the road. All the tavern suppliers were onboarded. There's uh, we had we had basically addressed a lot of risk, including technology risk. We had made our own battery pack, uh, the product risk to a large extent, supply chain risk to a large extent, and then it was slightly easier. Uh, what what are these risks which an investor has in mind? So, technology risk means risk that the technology you want to use is, is not mature or or cannot uh, deliver. Like, just help me understand this. You can say that my battery pack. Uh, see, I, I, there was a pitch that we have a battery pack that works. Now, um, in the in the first round, it was like we will make a battery pack that works, and in the second round, it is like see, there is a battery pack that works. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 And product risk is what, like, like whether there is a demand for the product. Will people want to buy? So that is an important thing which is getting addressed right now. A product risk is can a product function in itself? So what you say is a product market fit with the with the launch event. We have a, a bunch of pre-orders that we want to kind of service start servicing now. Uh, so. Now, then the next important thing is that we need to start manufacturing. We need to improve our distribution model and we need to start selling to our customers. Yeah, okay. Uh, I believe you used an investment banker for this round of 11 million. And I wanted to ask you like... No, no, no investment banker was used. All the fundraise was done completely in-house. Uh, so it was a story that we told about the product that we wanted to build and a constant thesis that a hardware startup is not capital intensive. Like people are comfortable giving $15 million to a software company and another $15 million to scale that business. So what we are telling is with this $15 million, we have invested on a factory and a product. And if you sell 5,000 units of this product, you have built yourself a $100 million business. So to build a $100 million business, you only have to sell 5,000 units. And and all the investments to build to sell that five thousand is done. It's a very strong pitch. Yeah. 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 It is. It is absolutely planned uh, production capacity. The installed capacity of the factory in three shifts is hundred thousand units a year. That roughly translates to around nine thousand units a month. We are starting off with a single shift operation uh, because we are only going. We are also we also have a city wise scale up plan. So we are going to be in one city in August a few cities down the line by january 2024 we will we target to complete okay mm -hmm. got it got it what would happen if uh, once you started selling the vehicles you discovered a flaw either in the design or in the battery pack or whatever like there could be so many things which can get discovered later like there is this uh, thing going around in social media about Ola's uh, fork. The, I believe there is some problem there and the fork breaks. It's not designed for Indian conditions. Uh, and I mean, even with the best of intentions, you might discover a flaw later on. What happens in that case? So I think it is extremely important to be honest with the consumers because they are the first uh, people who really backed us. So we are, we've been telling a story to 
everyone, right? Whether it is an investor or a supply chain partner or a potential employee or an employee or even a consumer, we are telling a story of what we want to do as a company. So I think uh, we will be honest with the consumers. We First of all, we are very confident that fundamental flaws uh, will not happen in, in, in basic functionality. If a part is supposed to do a function, we it is as a responsible OEM, it is our job to make sure that that part is tested to do that particular function. And we have done that. So we do not believe that fundamental flaws are going to happen for the consumer. And uh, we will take care of the product. We will replace whatever parts are there and make sure the customer does not have to pay for it. And you have enough capital cushion to handle such a situation because you may need to shut down production, like maybe your revenue takes a hit for a few months or stuff like that. Uh, Absolutely. See, the thing is also such a drastic thing. See, for example, if it's a drastic problem, then we will do the right thing by the customer. At the end of the day, values that we stand for is more important than short-term profit. So we are not a run-of-the-mill operator who wants to sell a few vehicles, make quick bucks and run. We are an OEM uh, that is creating a product that our customer's average usage will be at least five years. So we'll do the right thing by the customer. Yeah. Mm, right. Uh, help me understand uh, your distribution strategy because you're not just distributing a vehicle, but also the components, the modular components, like the the box. To uh, like you gave that example of someone delivering a cake can just attach a box. What's the way in which you'll do this? Is it more online or is it like traditional form of dealers? So we, no, no, we will work. A traditional form of dealers is a beautiful model that works in the industry, has worked in the industry for multiple reasons. Top reason, they fund the working capital because the dealers pay buy from you in advance and you pay your suppliers later. So the working capital which is required to scale, if you are funding it 100%, uh, you're talking about a large capital reserve that you'll need, which is not the most efficient use of capital. And if you're scaling through 100 dealers, you are primarily distributing that working capital requirement to 100 dealers. So it is a beautiful, uh, the model that works beautifully in the market today. We do not want to reinvent the wheel there. That is number one. Number two, selling and servicing a two-wheeler is a very localized experience. So the consumer will want to really uh, go talk to someone. At least today, they want to see, have the comfort that, okay, there is a store here. I can take my product to, in case there is something wrong. There is a person that, so it's still a very localized experience. Having said that, we do not believe that a city will need 50 dealers. A city will possibly need five dealers, but not to the extent. So we we believe that there is going to be a hybrid method of selling where there will be a bunch of customers who will come and place their orders online, but we'll still want to take a product to a dealer for service. It is going to be a hybrid model, which is a combination of online and offline, we are, we are creating a system that can work seamlessly for the consumer. So even if a consumer places an order online, we will transfer it to the nearest dealer and the nearest dealer will be a fulfillment partner who will service the vehicle. That is also how we believe the dealership model will evolve in the years to come. So we are, we are, we are, we are building a hybrid setup where the entire data will be controlled the company and dealer will be more of a fulfillment partner. So an eventual commercial implication to this will be that the revenue that a dealer gets from service for an EV will be far lower than what he is getting today for an IC engine business. So the upfront margins will be higher 
and that uh, is possibly how the dealership model will evolve. Plus, uh, the uh, sale of accessories could add on to his margin. Those would be higher margin products, I'm assuming. Absolutely, yeah. Mm, okay, okay, interesting. The founding team, the two of you, uh, were able to pull off uh, in terms of building, manufacturing the product because of your past experience. Uh, what are you doing on the side of distribution? That is something which you may not have already got with you. The founding team would have probably not got that with you. So what are you doing there to, uh, on, because you need to onboard maybe 500 dealers across the country or something like that. So how would you, or how are you? Onboard smarter people who have already done it. <laughs> so we already have a head of marketing. We are onboarding head of dealerships. We are onboarding head of sales. So this skill set is already available in the industry. See, all said and done. Because you're following the, the legacy dealer format. So anyone from a legacy company who has already done this would be able to deliver it to you. Deliver it. I wouldn't say we are following the legacy dealership format primarily because the legacy dealership format has certain uh, restrictions in terms of how the dealer makes money. There is a large chunk of money depending on service, etc. So we are more uh, looking at dealers as uh, fulfillment partners and customer experience. We learn to want to work with them in a much more deeper way in terms of how do you sell the product, how the customer experience is going to be, etc. So we handpick our dealers. We spend time training their staff. So it's not like a machinery that at least for the next year, two years, because the first two years is, is where we also kind of define our dealership, our customer experience, etc. Right. So we want to have a slow and steady path to get there. See, for example, the target is to open around uh, uh, 50 dealerships by 2024. You want to go pan-India? Uh, it will be pan-India, but with a slightly more focus on tier 2, tier 3 cities. Okay. There is a potential to... Not really. Two-wheelers market primarily lack of public transportation makes tier 2, tier 3 cities larger two-wheeler markets, number one. Number two, self-employed people are more. And our thesis is always going after the solo entrepreneur. Uh, what are you doing in terms of brand building and marketing activities? to attract the solopreneurs? So we are also, we haven't spent much money on marketing so far. So we really do not believe in celebrity marketing or any of that. So we believe really in community building. What kind of community activities? Give me some examples. Vocational training for that matter is being planned. How can, or helping them reach the right audience, getting loans for them to buy a product and maybe augment their business in whatever way we can. So because of the higher exposure, and the kind of relationships we will be able to get these kind open up these doors for a bunch of these solo entrepreneurs you would definitely need to offer financing because i i believe that's what will make an ev competitive because your cost of running is lower upfront cost is higher so most people will need financing for it to make sense for them and a solopreneur may or may not have a good credit history credit score they may be new to credit how will you solve that problem of helping them to finance the vehicle see it's again not reinventing the wheel it is about uh, working with the existing banks and nbfcs who have already a credit score system so all our entrepreneurs unlike uh, public perception are not people without money <laughs> right but uh, as a they may not have the kind of documentation which a traditional bank wants before giving a loan right like a bank will there are many NBFCs who are uh, who are willing to work with these people. There are many NBFCs. Like for example, we have tied up with two NBFCs and a and a bank uh, who have already signed up as partners to offer financing for for us. 
interesting. Okay. What is the software play? You know, one of the big advantages of an EV is integration with software. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that you can do through software integration, IoT. You know, tell me about some of the things that you have done. What's on the roadmap there? So we already have developed, I mean, the vehicle is connected, the battery pack is connected. And the customer can access all the information about the ride, etc. from an app. So these are all things that is already built out. But we are also thinking about building business models around connectivity. For example, leasing of the vehicle, uh, leasing of the battery pack. You buy the vehicle and you lease the battery pack, etc. are business models that can be enabled because of software and connectivity on the vehicle. In addition, we being novelty features. Mm-hmm. Let's say the whole vehicle costs, what is the target price of it Like when you launch? See, for example, the, the vehicle is being sold for 1,25,000 rupees ex-showroom. If we are leasing a battery pack, we can even sell the vehicle for 80,000 rupees and do a 1,000,500 rupees subscription per month. For a battery pack. Yeah, for a battery pack. And it also gives consumer uh, a lot of advantages in terms of not being dependent on the battery pack. If something goes wrong with the pack, we'll replace the pack, etc. Uh, and what happens to my pack after five years? So, yeah. But it's also a customer education problem where you really have to educate the consumer about a lease product. So, The point being, the software play and the IoT uh, devices or the connectivity modules are designed in such a way that these business models can be enabled at the right time. Hmm. Like in such a scenario, you would work with a NBFC partner when you're leasing the battery or this will become like a subscription revenue for you? Absolutely. It will... See, see, the thing is, we always believe in distributed growth. We are not fully vertically integrated that way, right? For example, the way we want to work with the distributors. You invest in a showroom, we'll make sure that you make so much return and you become our partners in growth. Same story with respect to financing also. We are not a financing company, we are OEM. As long as we make our cut out of selling the product and uh, cut out the subscription revenue, we are not in the business of lending money. Interesting, okay. You know, what do you think will be your... uh let's say at maturity stage, let's maybe in two or three years, what will be the revenue breakup in terms of how much would you be earning from just selling the the bike, how much from accessories and from subscription revenue cut and other kind of whatever? I think subscription, yeah, subscription is not something that we want to talk about. See, let me tell you an example of around 5,000 vehicles a month. So by the time we reach a scale of 5,000 vehicles a month, which uh, will be in a couple of years from now, the revenue will be from sale of vehicle will be around $100 million dollars. We think there can be an additional 15 to 20% from sale of accessories and merchandise and an additional 10% from service revenue. And subscription is not something that we'll possibly do in the next couple of years. Okay. Uh, Why not? Like, wouldn't that increase affordability, make it more accessible? I agree with you, but um, educating a consumer is going to take a lot more time than that. So today, education of the consumer has already happened. As I told you, we believe in agility and we believe in efficiency. So when the time is right, we can do the subscription business. Okay, okay, interesting. And what do you think will be your sales breakup between, let's say, direct-to-consumer through dealership versus, let's say, corporate deals and stuff like that? Do, do you see corporate deals as a significant part? or? I don't believe that there is any corporate deal transaction that is going to happen in the country today. Primarily because, see... Who can buy vehicles in bulk? Like none of the organized delivery fleets, as we call it, like food delivery or econ delivery or couriers, 
none of them buy their own vehicles none of them have vehicles on their books right so we do not see too much value coming in from corporate sales however we see the order book getting getting more small medium businesses buying vehicles going forward interesting what is what is the benchmark number there if you achieve this much by this date then you know that you have got product market fit so i i think that answer is there in the indian two wheeler market see for example the spread in the indian two wheeler market is so vast right at the we have around 8 9 players right at the top we have guys like honda and hero who sell 5 million units a year and they their businesses are north of 4 billion dollars they have 5000 dealers around the country now all the way down you have brands like vespa and ktm that sell 5000 units a month and they are having a 100 million 150 million dollar business and they have a niche carved out for themselves so this is a number that i have been telling you for some time since we started this conversation 5000 a month 5000 a month is 100 million dollars is that number where you can say that okay i have created a market or carved out a market for myself that is the base on which we will build further business so and how much time will you need to hit 5000 what's your like a year year and a half is what we are looking at okay 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 would you need more fundraise to hit this 5000 yeah, of course for what for marketing spent customer acquisition for marketing spend customer acquisition etc etc okay. so what what are uh, you know uh, typically entrepreneurs are like irrationally optimistic uh, but just to kind of look at what could go wrong uh, if let's say you don't hit 5000 uh, units of sale even after 2 years what would have gone wrong for that to not happen would it be factors under your control would it be some external factors you know what are the things which could have gone wrong in case you did not hit this target like very hypothetical question but just to understand the risk factors yeah there are multiple things right for example uh, we are not scaling to the extent uh, that we want for example it's also a factor of how many cities are we in so if you are not able to reach those cities then that is one factor that could uh, possibly delay us reaching 5000 see it's about not about reaching 5000 it's about reaching 5000 in a year or two years or three years so it's about uh, the pace at which we can scale as one factor the pace at which market accepts the product is the second which is very unlikely today given the traction that we already see in the market we are confident that there is market demand and uh, supply chain issues are we able to manufacture fast enough etc so there are so this is a business with multiple facets and we are aware of it we are not ignoring that so supply chain and we have actually thinking through each of this on a daily basis for example we have all major tier one suppliers onboarded so this was a pain that we took in the last year so that when we are ready to scale they did not have capacity constraints Mm. i think supply chain is unlikely unless there's like some battery shortage or something right second thing is uh, manufacturing we had a choice to put up a factory with a capacity of 15000 vehicles or 100000 vehicles we took the pain and put up a factory with 100000 vehicles per annum capacity so that when we are able to scale once we crack it we can actually replicate it same thing so we have thought through this in the right way but we have to also execute it right 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 you said you're very confident that there is demand in the market for the product and there are signs of traction what are those signs of traction the customer service lines uh, people calling asking for test rides because we have not spent any money on marketing the only thing that we spent was the launch event even opened up test rides for in consumers 
uh, we do multiple community activities where uh, we bring in people into the r&d center talk to them etc everyone loves the product so these are like automotive influencers like someone who's got a youtube channel or something like that like people not even we, we kind of we whoever has come to our website and uh, posted their numbers or email id we reach out to them and ask them to come to the site etc so not not influencers it's a end consumer who will potentially buy our product it was uh, in february where we invited the the major auto media business media and influencer crowd and did a launch event where we had a 20 minute video which was curated uh, and we showed it it was live streamed also and that was the only public it was proud it was us presenting the brand and the product and the company for the first time to the outer world so and and from that is the that is the only only marketing spend that we have done so far and anything that uh any traction or and our we have been getting continuous emails we have been getting continuous calls etc after that how did starting river make you evolve as a person as a founder as a leader what were some of those things which some skill sets you had to learn or you know how did this help you evolve this whole two year experience so it's a it's a very humbling experience to start it because see when we started off right Uh, for someone to actually write a 2 million dollar check without having seen us right it's extremely important so we started believing in in the power of chance uh, in the power of uh, taking that one chance like for example all the major investor contacts or the major investments that we have raised has been through cold emails we have sent cold emails to these people and we got responses we got conversations amazing yeah that is an important thing and of all investors who have invested in river they are river is the first investment of all these companies in india wow okay that's amazing so we were able to convince a vc sitting in israel in san francisco a climate fund sitting in san francisco the corporate venture arm of uh, largest automotive company in the world which one is that to put in okay toyota toyota ventures is invested in the world amazing so and we are the first investment for all these companies in india right that is a very very humbling experience in itself we told the story of river to people to our employees when we did not even have a website and they joined and they worked tirelessly to build river from a story that we said we told the story of river to tire and suppliers with a with a promise that see we want to build this can you please help us and they worked with us so it's an extremely humbling experience which kind of taught us that see it is about the people that you work with that is most important and uh, you really have to create that environment and find the resources for them to execute and build what you envision mm. it's uh, it's quite fascinating that you went after uh, not the traditional vcs like a sequoia and all of these why did you take this call to write to send cold emails to vcs outside india like it's not that we didn't go to all of them but most of them said that hardware investment is not going to happen we do not want to invest in hardware i think it is fast changing and we possibly want to be the first example of a company that uh, can prove that a hardware investment is not capital intensive because uh, we are a very mature software app aggregator investor i mean a company is that raise money ecosystem we are a very nascent hardware investment ecosystem and all the predecessors that we have they are not capital intensive capital efficient to that matter we want to make that strong statement that we are going to be capital efficient and hardware investments are not going to be 
as capital intensive as you think and third india is as great a manufacturing economy as any other country out there mm, amazing what is the eventual exit do you see like let's say maybe a toyota coming taking over or some like an acquisition or do you see like public listing or you know like very long long horizon 10 years down the line what do you see 10 years down the line we could be possibly the first hardware company out of india to go and list in a nasdaq or we could be acquired we don't we not thinking about acquisition at this point at this point we are very focused on building river as an individual brand and see how we can build a large consumer focused business with very strong focus on design design amazing you're uh, operating in a space which has a lot of funded startups that you are competing against you know what makes you different what gives you the right to succeed so uh, every company has a particular philosophy and dna that they stand for uh, at river we are a design centric technology company so design is extremely important primarily because we are a consumer focused brand we work we see around the market we see what the consumers want and we are creating solutions to better their lives and design as a skill set is ex- extremely important to that and we have proved that from the product that we have created indi which is unlike anything out there in the market so that design philosophy and dna is what is going to set us apart in the market in the in the years to come that is um, important so as part of the design we are also very people centric people focused company where uh, technology is one but how do you kind of make the technology useful for the consumer and how can you use technology and design to make their day to day lives better is the entire focus and that brings us to the end of this conversation i want to ask you for a favor now Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad@thepodium.in. That's ad@thepodium.in.